0: Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California, and in parallel from the Turf's Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone show this evening. Well, a good afternoon to everybody out there in Radio Land. Welcome to the Water Zone. I'm Rob Starr along with Mr. Chris Davies, and we are your hosts of the Water Zone today. And every weekend. So uh, hope everybody's having a great day. It's uh, nice out here in Arizona. A little windy. Uh, a little cooler than the 97 degrees we had yesterday. That's in the 80s today. And uh, Mr. Davy out in the wonderful land of California. How's it, how's it going out there?
1: Well, speaking of Radio Land, Rob, in Radio Land in California, it is wet again. Yeah, oh. it's raining after number 5 number 15 of the atmospheric river. Uh, here we are again. More rain, not not flooding, not potential downpours, not galley washers, but rain.
0: Well, for our listeners, just to know, Miss uh, Miss Austin is out. Uh, I, I guess the best way to, to 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 identify that is she's having a spa day, <laughs> and I think that's uh, one of the. I, I know at least my wife tells me that's one of the most important days they like to take off and go get pampered on the outside and come home and look pretty, which I think they look pretty anyway, but they just think it enhances their, uh, their appearance. So, and their attitude, they like to get a, as they call it, a, a penny and a mani and all these other ritual things. And, uh, you know, what color do you want <laughs> and stuff like that? Uh, and get their hair done and, uh, massages. And so it's good for them and i um, makes them happy. And I'm glad Chris has taken that day off to do that. I think, uh, she deserves it and earns it, and she's—I know she's getting ready for an upcoming event, and in Scottsdale, and both Chris and I, uh, Chris Nadia and I are going to be there. It's the American Society of Irrigation Consultants, and uh, they have their annual conference, and and uh, Chris Austin is going to be the featured speaker. So that should be a good event, and we'll be out there talking to a bunch of important irrigation consultants around the world, and uh, we'll get them on our show. So I think that'll be a great event, don't you, Chris?
1: I do, and who doesn't like a couple of cucumber slices pounded on your eyelids?
0: <laughs> or hot rocks on your back? Whatever. <laughs> I guess in my case it'll be a boulder, hot boulder up my back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it's kind of funny. I, you know, I never, I never went ever to get a massage. Have you?
1: I have actually. So got uh, gotten a couple of gift cards for that kind of stuff. You know, it's not, it's not free. Bad. It's actually pretty good. Rick. I recommend it. Oh.
0: The only one I had that was close to that is when I was living in the in the Philippines for my, my previous job, and, and I went and got a haircut. And uh, the guy's cutting my hair. Then next thing I know, he goes away to get a hot towel. And Then all of a sudden, somebody's like rubbing my back. <laughs> I, I looked up, and it, it kind of freaked me out a little bit because I wasn't expecting it. And uh, I said, "I said, am I supposed to get a massage?" He said, "Oh, it comes with the haircut." And I said, "Okay." I didn't want to be weird about it. But uh, you know, I wasn't expecting it. It was kind of, kind of a, and it was good. It felt good. So you know, in looking at uh, you know, Chris and I for our listeners, we get Maven's Notebook every single day delivered on our PC. It's a great thing to have. Huh? You can become a sponsor. You can become a subscriber. It's uh, www.mavensnotebook.com. Gives gives Chris and I all the latest information about what's happening of events that we, we can't attend because we have regular jobs and, and everything else. So it's it's a good thing. She, she had an article, Chris, uh, called What to Expect During the Potential Super El Nino, which I guess we're supposed to have. And this phenomenon is, is ended after a three-year run, leaving scientists in anticipation of a sister uh, phenomenon. Uh, however, there's no signs indicating that this year's El Nino will be far more extreme than usual, and here's everything you need to know. Um You've experienced these these follow-up el ninos, correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's a you know, it's an every year kind of on and off thing. The prediction, the predicted capabilities of, you know, the weather service people, meteorological uh organizations like like WMO, the World Meteorological Organization, they're not quite there where they can predict, you know, oncoming years, right? So, but they can as the as the year goes by and they get closer uh, of the season, they can start to see trends in ocean currents and upwelling and things like that that give them an indication uh, of uh, of what might be coming. So the idea of a, uh, as you said, I think you said it, super El Nino sort of a thing, and the yep. sister event, the La Nina. Um, you know, both of those are are predictable, but only you know only close in time, closer in time, and not not kind of you know they can't predict three years out from now. Right. I
0: know they call this other thing the El Nino Southern Oscillation, and that's what they describe as a weather phenomenon in which sea temperatures at the surface at the central and eastern tropical Pacific Ocean become substantially warmer than normal, and uh, I think they're expected to make an appearance sometime this year, and the phenomenon typically lasts between 9 and 12 months, so right now the atmosphere and the ocean are both in sync and screaming El Nino rapid development over the next few months, so um, anyway, that's what a climate scientist, uh, Daniel Swain, predicts. So, uh, However, the scientists are warning of a potential super El Nino, which could cause very high temperatures in the central region of the Pacific around the equator. So uh, we're, we're not living near the equator, so I'm not worried that much. But uh, I guess we're going to have some more interruptible uh, weather coming.
1: I think... I think the thing to you know the thing to think about is there's a lot of things that got that get affected by the El Nino as you said, um, you know it's not just drought causing right which is the biggest thing that we associated with at least where I live in Southern California and El Nino we associated with drought um, but it's always it's everything's at the extreme so it's extreme droughts it's extreme floods it's extreme heat waves more storms. As we saw this year, everybody, you know, everybody can attest to that if you live here. <clears throat> but what I'm, what I'm really interested in, and it's, it's part of that article. If you, if you got, I don't even know if you check out a chance to read the whole thing, uh, Rob, but it really goes into detail about you know what happens for each uh, one half of one degree, 0.5 a degree temperature, um, average temperature uh, as the temperature goes up. Right as they've been tracking it now for almost now 30, almost sorry for 38 years almost 40 years so what they're calling this um you know this temperature increase over what they call pre-industrial levels right um so they're saying that they're predicting that that the winter season the el nino season next year for for essentially in 2024 is going to be the warmest globally on record uh, uh so far so i mean is this you know, is this sky is falling, Chicken Little stuff, impending doom? You know, I I don't know. It's so hard to read. But if if it's any if we get the same kind of rains last year as we got this year, it's certainly going to be an indicator that uh, the Southern California needs to change the way it builds and transports people and does that. You know, uh, uh, collects water, saves water, transports water. Um, you know the bays, the rivers, the estuaries—everything was affected this year. If it happens two years in a row, it's going to be a challenge. Oh, absolutely, absolutely.
0: You know they're 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 also complaining that uh, you know there's going to be more floods happening because of the snowmelt. Uh, they're forecasting high flood risks, and and uh, so they're they're worried about, it, especially in the San Joaquin Valley and Tulare Lake Basin. Uh, spring and summer snowmelt volumes up and speeds the arrival of our warm weather and sunshine, and so it's an April to July snowmelt forecast, and that's uh, that's what they're worrying about. I hope they have a place to put that melting snow, and unless it's going to go back into the drains and out in the ocean again. Don't know.
1: Yeah, well, look, I mean, look at the reemergence of a of a decades old lake in Central California, Tulare Lake. Right? It wasn't right. There. No. There wasn't- <laughs> It wasn't there. But yeah. as a result of yeah, as a result of all the rain, um, the the runoff that's happening is starting to happen now as, as the spring comes. Uh, what else? The, the subsidence that the drought caused, right? I mean the earth in the central valley is like a sponge. When it dries out it shrinks, just like the sponge does, kinda gets right. you know paved in on your sink, right? And so so the same things happen. So the actual level the elevation of the land in the central valley has sunk uh over over the many many you know the last decade of uh of very very dry years with in inter, intermittent interspersed wet years but for the most part it's been dry so now the lake the original lake bed that has started to be inhabited i mean people have gone and built properties there and started to live and set up uh, homes and things like that Well. Now the roads, the streets, the fields, the houses are underwater yeah. Because, yeah. because there's nowhere for this water to go. Water will go to the lowest point somehow, whether it's on the surface, whether it's subsurface, it's still going to go and get to the lowest point. And that's what happened. That's what happened. I read something really interesting. Did you know that Taurus, Clary Lake, 100 years ago, was deep enough that uh, that paddle, actual ferry boats or paddle boats, were operating on it Rob?
0: yeah that i do know
1: it was it, it, it's interesting i there were mining operations and stuff going on there and they would uh transport uh workers across the lake on paddle boats so yeah. well i don't know if it's uh, i don't know if it's going to get back to that level right now but uh there's a pretty big area of land in the central valley by salari um that is now under five six feet of water
0: wow
1: that's amazing
0: I know years ago, uh, you might remember this because you've been in California for a long time. There used to be a reporter on television named Ralph Story. I don't know yeah, if you've heard yeah. And then later years, uh, he came out with a show that about, about Los Angeles area, Los Angeles County, what it was back then and what it is, well, it's not today, but a couple of years ago back. And it's amazing, just like you talk about Tulare Lake. You know, this was a uh, a nice place to go, and, and uh, even like Lake Elsinore, you know that that was a that was a hot spot yeah, years yeah. ago, and 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 now you know it's it's filled, but it's not clean, and there's all kinds of stuff that's going on, and, and, and uh, so yeah, things change over time. I mean dramatically, you know. You know, I, I've, I've been working with the, uh, the state and some other organizations about water shortage and drought and, and new regulations. That they're proposing to make uh, conservation a California way of life, but there was a report that came out that talks about swimming pools and lavish gardens of the rich are driving water shortages. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I thought that was that was pretty interesting. Uh, they said they're big factors be, be, uh, you know, behind the increasingly dire uh, water issues. And even internationally, uh, uh, there's certain individuals with the power to decide how to manage water who also want to use more water. You know, there was a, a time when, I, and, I, and I'm trying to remember her name, uh, she works now for the city of uh, Beverly Hills. And I, I I know her face, but I can't remember her name right off the bat. Do you, do you remember that she was on her show? She's in charge of water conservation for Beverly yeah. Hills. Yeah, I can't I, remember. No. But I remember when I was out going around looking at stuff with her, we went to one house. It had seven pools in, in Bel Air. Seven. Now, this was a what one I would house. call them, one a, a, oh yeah, a mega mansion. i got to tell you, a mega mansion. Okay? And they had seven pools, and the owner's position was, okay, you're going to charge me more because I'm using more water. That's okay. I can afford it. <laughs> and that was his answer he didn't want to didn't want to stop using any of them or reduce you know keep keep maybe two or three instead of a seven but uh he has seven pools at his house seven
1: well you know what I, I you know i mean i guess you know you've always got to balance this against you know if, it, if this is your right i guess right i mean you've got yeah. the, yeah if you, if if, you, if the resources are there you've got the resources to do it you you have the desire to do it I mean, you know, there's always that argument, right? Is it is it, um, you know, is it environmentally uh, prudent to do that? Pro- probably not, especially in California and in the conditions that, that, that we face sometimes. But, you know, how much how much uh, can you force a, an individual, a person from their civil liberties to, to not do that?
0: Well, you know, this thing that I, I, I participated in this public uh, forum on making conservation a California way of life, you know, they came up with all these, this proposal and suggestions to what yeah, they yeah. Yeah, want, yeah. what want the water agencies to manage with their customers. And the question that a lot of water agencies uh, and, and comments that they made is that it's cost them hundreds of millions of dollars over the last 15 years to get people to help uh, conserve and they and they show remarkable results with that. They've taken you know 30 percent uh, savings. You still they still have to pay their people to work and and, and uh, operate the water treatment plants and the delivery system and maintain it and all of that. But 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 one of the questions I didn't get to ask because there was there, was, there was a time allotment and couldn't couldn't get in a lot of questions with so many people. What what do you do when they pass these regulations and Everything that's already built, okay, all this infrastructure, all these homes, all this industrial complexes, they exist, but not with all these modern things that they want to talk about. You know what the cost would have to be to have everybody who has a, a home or a building that doesn't have smart controllers or any of the new EPA, water sensing things to change all of that? Massive, yeah. It, 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 it's just like... You know they want to do the electric cars. I, I'm in favor of electric cars, but if we switch that now, or even in in ten years, the the, the grid infrastructure isn't going to hold. It. In fact, they in, in your state right now they have they have rolling blackouts because they in the summertime because they they don't have enough power. So what's going to happen with that? What's going to happen with the water? If everybody can't change out their irrigation system. It's going to cost a fortune. Yes,
1: especially
0: yes. In, especially on commercial properties. And are they going to, are they going to I I don't know the answer to this and if that's going to be part of the plan or not. Are they thinking, they being the state government, going to demand that everybody has to change just like get rid of your ovens, uh, your gas oven, or is that's only for new bills? You know, who knows? I don't don't know. I don't know how crazy it can get. I'm all in favor of all the renewable types of energy and stuff. I don't think we're there yet, you know, uh, to generate enough uh, power that we need with the with solar and, and wind and and all that, yet I, I, it's just like car batteries. You know, if you get a, you get a Tesla or something, and the batteries, uh, you know, after a year or two, don't go bad. It's fifteen thousand dollars for new batteries. That's that's a lot of money. And it sure is. Yeah. I, so I, I don't know what I don't know what the world's going to do. And, and then if we do all of this stuff, uh, does that mean everybody else in the world is going to do the same, or are we just spending our money for our little part?
1: <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Some- Somebody's got to be the leader, though, right? I mean, you know, yeah. the United States has led in so many of these, so many of these different things. But you know, just like you said, you know, it's not like a spare Tesla battery is not something you, you know, you keep on the on the metal rack in your garage, right?
2: No,
0: <laughs> and, and, when, and when you get in an accident, I heard with the mm-hmm. lithium batteries, it's it's really bad with the for the for the air. So, I mean, there's a lot of questions in all of these things, so I think plans have to be thought out. Now, now, a good plan they're thinking about is that California wants to cover the canals, the water canals, with water panels, solar now, panels.
1: Yeah, solar panels. Yeah. 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 The California I, Aqueduct.
0: I think that's a good idea.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great idea too. There's stretches of it where which that that are not used. I mean, not even used for recreation, right? And right. and they're yeah, they have no, they have, uh, they've got no natural purpose um, uh, either. I mean, for you know, as a water source for. Wild animals or anything like that. So there are stretches of it that they can um, uh, uh, that they can do that with. It is expensive to do still, as you said, right? It's not quite a level playing field out there in terms of the cost to do these new technologies and the infrastructure is not in place uh, throughout the state um, as to support that. Because you know, if, even if you do that, you still have to clean it. Somebody has to maintain it. Somebody has to do all this stuff. So it's gonna it's gonna come at a cost. Yes, yeah. I yeah. think they're. I think they're trying to figure out if there's a break-even. Uh, if there's a break-even with that plan, that uh, you know that has something under a you know 25 year payback. Um, yeah, it's like it's like a lot of like a lot of different things, right? I mean, you heard you know President Biden just this week changing the uh, or trying to uh, expedite speed up the transition to. Uh, auto to auto electrification. Um, but all a grand idea, but, you know, that's a lot of infrastructure to put in place. And if you, if you make car companies do that without the infrastructure in place, you're not going to get people to buy the, buy their product, buy their vehicle. No, I,
0: I think the unions might stand up to some of those things. And, and it's going to be really, it's going to be really interesting to see. And plus, you know, what they're talking about from the news and a lot of lawmakers are, you know where do they get where do they get the batteries and the, and the materials for the solar panels? that come out of places like Af- South Africa and other places, and and from what I understand, China has a lot of stake in those areas. And so all we're going to be doing is because since we don't do a whole lot of it here in the United States, building all those things and have those types of minerals, we're just going to be handing it off to somebody who's threatening us if we want to protect uh, one of our allies in, in Taiwan. So. I don't know. It's going to be a real crazy world here this next year, I believe. I'm, I'm kind of worried about it.
1: Yeah, I am too. It's going to be interesting, um, you know, for sure. And we'll get, you know, seeing what it looks like for guys like you and I in terms of uh, our, let's say, let's say our uh, age status. <laughs>
0: <laughs> our retirement,
1: yeah. <laughs> and our retirement, you know, and, and, and where we're at. I mean, you know, that could be, a, although today was a, was a good day on Wall Street if you if you yes. happen to watch the watch the markets, but yeah. Um, yeah, but you know all that all that stuff is of particular interest. We're certainly living in exciting exciting times.
0: Oh, especially especially when I arrested this twenty one year old guy who worked at the uh, uh, the military who was printing all these inf- top secret information out to all the countries, saying say here's yeah. the game plan for Ukraine, here's what Egypt's doing. I mean, so we sort of embarrassed all these other countries. Right now, and 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 you know, I have a brother-in-law who wants to who wants to go to Israel to take a trip there, and he wants to go to England as well. I said, you know, England, I'd probably might go, but uh, I don't know right now with Russia. I mean, not Russia. I mean, with Israel, because you got the the missiles flying over there right now, and sure. I, it's, it's kind of really unstable these days, and and. Yeah, we we got a lot of projects. This country needs. I'm not going to get political here, but I just think we need to concentrate on making sure our country lasts good. Make sure we have food. Make sure that we have water. You know those those kind of things. And, and uh, yes, there has to be a leader in all these other things in the world. I I don't know if now is the right time that we should be the leader. We got a lot of things we got to do yet to take care of our country. So that's yeah, I'll get off of, that. Take care of our
1: own. Yeah, yeah. First, well, yeah. like you said, I think there's going to be- Rebuke, you said, right? And people, people pushing back on that. I think they're gonna have I think we're gonna see that on Water Side as well too. I mean just, just, you know, I don't know when it was. I think it was a couple of last week? I think it was just last week. So the so, you know, the Biden's water of the United States or W O T F, right? WOTF. Yep. One of those things that goes along with POTUS and SCOTUS and you know, all that all that stuff. But WOTUS, water, water of the United States. So um the the Senate, the Senate overruled Biden's vote. I mean, it was very, very close, right? Quite, quite close actually. But it was uh, 53 to 43 to overturn um, that rule. And that that rule is basically, you know, who has control uh, uh, over the waters of the United States? Is it federal? Is it by the state? And who and how much? And you know, all these stuff. And that was just that was overturned. So, you know, I think the I think we are going to see pushback in other areas as well
0: be interesting times well, we got a good guest coming up uh, they're going to be talking about uh water management from years ago to today and how it's changed and what has to happen to make that even better around the world so we're going to take a little break uh we'll be back in a few minutes and stick around and that's a great conversation with our friend travis and and uh, nisha so um any other comments chris before we take a break
1: Uh, Nope, I'm looking forward to it myself. As you know, I haven't had a chance to listen to it, so stay tuned, everyone.
0: All right, we'll be right back, and uh, stay tuned.
3: KCAA Loma Linda. The Legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 106.5 FM. Moving up in this industry means getting the most out of each day, so you can focus on growing your business. With Site One, you're in control, and we're here to help. It starts with the right team. Our irrigation pros can help map out a complete, streamlined system that meet any requirements or regulation. And, from the first dig to years after install, knowledgeable experts are available in branch or resources are available online to help find solutions specific to your needs. Next, we make sure you have the right tools to get the job done with the largest selection of top brands in the industry, bringing the latest in Wi-Fi-enabled controllers, rotors, sprays, valves, and drip components. And because hard work should always be rewarded, you'll receive personalized pricing and earn loyalty points on qualifying purchases to help you grow. You're in control. Site One is here to help. If you knew there was a pipe cement that works better than the one you're currently using, is better for you and the environment, and costs the same or less, would you buy it? Oh, no-brainer, right? Weldon, the trusted leader in solvent cements for over 60 years, is pleased to introduce a new line of solvent cements that does all that. Introducing the Eco-Series line of solvent cements for PVC piping systems. Not only does it work great and set fast, it also has 30 percent lower solvent emissions and less smelly fumes, a better workplace environment when you're installing pipes. But don't just take our word for it. EcoSeries products are the only solvent cements that are Green Seal certified for environmental innovation for effective performance, improved working conditions, and for use with potable water. Now available in a medium-bodied fast-setting blue formula 905ECO and a regular-bodied fast-setting clear formula 900ECO. Pick up a can today from your local distributor and see, smell, and feel the difference, just like Joe Sweat, president of Sunrise Irrigation, did. He said, after using Weldon's 905 Eco, we immediately noticed the application was smooth and there was noticeably less odor than other blue solvent cements on the market. The guys love it. To learn more about Eco solvent cements from Weldon, Visit the website at www.welldon.com or call the technical service hotline at 877-477-8327. That's 877-477-8327. Miss your favorite show? Download the podcast at kcaaradio.com. The uh, water zone and... uh
0: we're going to turn this over to our friend Travis and uh, Nusha Ajami, and they're going to talk about uh, information about water management, what it was, what it is, and where do we need to go. So take it away, Travis.
4: And senior research scholar at the Stanford Woods Institute for the Environment.
2: Thank you for having me, Travis
4: yeah i we were kind of trying to plan what we would talk about here, and I just realized with your incredible depth and breadth of expertise on water that I really wanted to to ask some big picture questions and kind of get your thoughts on that um, so so let's let's start there How would you describe the way that water is managed in the united states that's a that's a giant open ended question there but what comes to mind for you okay,
2: um, you know, when I look at the problems you are facing today from, uh, you know, impacts of climate change to um, urbanization, to environmental pollution, uh, just just name a few, um, then I very quickly start thinking about the infrastructure that we have built in the 20th century and how appropriate they are to meet these, today's challenges. And then that easily sort of Morphs into the fact that some of the laws and um, laws that are sort of uh, governing this system that we have have been put in place in the 19th century. So this is a complex process um, that uh, sort of feed into each other, and it's um, it's causing a lot of problems for us when we are dealing with today's uh, challenges. A couple of things to touch on: one is the fact that we built this infrastructure system that we. Rely on today, um, with, um, I think three main, um, elements of these things that I really care about. One is we built them in a once true system. So we use water, we bring water to people, we use it once, and then we just, um, uh, take it away and, uh, Cleaning and put it back in the environment. Um, so there's uh, this concept of circularity doesn't really exist in the existing model we have. The second thing is uh, we built everything on the concept of abundance. There's always another drop of water to go bring, so you can use as much as you want. Um, there wasn't a con- uh, the, the we weren't as as conscious as we built the system on the uh, limitations we are facing and how. Uh, what are the natural limitations we face? Um, And uh, the third thing is um, we build it in a very fragmented way. So we have, uh, we bring water to people, we take the water from them as from our wastewater, and then we deal with uh, uh, stormwater and uh, rainwater cap as a sort of nuisance, nuisance that you need to sort of get uh, get it as fast as you can and put it out the system as fast as you can. So, And each one of these boxes have their own rules and regulations on how we want to manage um, the system. So it's complex. It's sort of uh, outdated in a way. And, uh, and we are facing so many challenges um, in today's world that um, very much impacts um, the way we deal with our water supplies.
4: How has water management maybe evolved and improved in the over the past few decades if if you think it has improved in some ways
2: it has certainly improved incrementally obviously uh, as you face different challenges we have uh, tried to sort of face it in different ways for example we have become much more efficient in the way we use water And, uh, you know, we uh, have much more efficient appliances. We have much more efficient uh, uh, fixtures in our household. We use a lot less water than we did did, um, uh, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. A lot of cities actually uh, around the US, if you look, you see, even though as their population has grown, their water use hasn't really changed, uh, and a lot of that can be attributed to this um, efficiency that we ha- we have been building into the system. So we have certainly made a lot of progress. Another thing is we have definitely come to realize there have been consequences um, of the system we built, and uh, we have been trying to deal with it. For example, you know we we have now Clean Water Act, which has uh it's sort of getting close to its. 50th anniversary, which have been trying to keep our water bodies from pollution and preventing uh, any um, uh, uh, unintended consequence of some of our activities uh, that uh, we undertake, for example, industrial activities. So we have definitely improved the quality of the water in our water bodies. Um, So that that has been a huge progress for sure. And and this is just to name a few, and there there have also been a lot of other activities happening, but some of them have been definitely monumental. For example, Clean Water Act was certainly a monumental um, uh, shift in the way we do uh, manage our water, Uh, but some of them have been incremental and they all have made us better in the way we manage water.
4: What about maybe the, even just the past ten years, or just in the twenty-first century, the past twenty years here, twenty-one sure. years, I guess. Um, what did, what do you think has happened over the past you know twenty years? Changes or uh, shifts in the approach to water management?
2: Sure, I think efficiency is definitely a newer thing. We have definitely put that in place in the past twenty years. Uh, it's interesting to think about it because some of that has been actually driven by our uh, our intention to and um, uh, be more efficient in the way to use energy. Uh, so it, that's where it was started. And then eventually sort of morphed into water um, and more if you think about, you know, all the appliances that we use in our household. Um, you know we have been trying to make them more energy efficient which means we have to use less water to heat less water to um spray less water so all of that has um has less energy implications so that's why um uh, energy have been at the heart of some of the efforts we have done around water efficiency and then also obviously um we have um uh, done, done more work around. for example let's, let's talk about california right. um you know Finally, we have realized we have to manage our groundwater better. So we have a groundwater law, um, you know, before that we had a wild, wild west, if you think about groundwater in California. Um, so, um, so we, you know, the drought in California, the recent severe drought that we have experienced between 2012 and uh, 16 uh, led into some of these uh, efforts around groundwater management and better water management. Um, again, uh, you know, they have all been important, and um, so sort of, I call this actually uh, adaptive governance. As we are sort of facing more challenges, we have to adapt to the situations we are in, and we are sort of trying to change the way we govern and manage water um, as we face uh, the different challenges.
4: That's the thing that's jumping out to me as you kind of describe some of maybe the flaws in the way that we built the system and the philosophies uh and then you have all these forces that are happening as we you know climate change continued population growth and development um the infrastructure itself is aging so like how do you how do you begin to turn the giant ship um you know while it's while it's still moving and um you've got this giant country you've got all these water systems and uh so much to address how how can you begin to to change that i'm actually leaving it up to you to to
2: (laughs) 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 there are a few things to actually main things to think about one is as we are actually just aging infrastructure is definitely at the heart of a lot of problems you're having for sure and as you're facing climate change and there's there are always, in every challenge, there's an opportunity, right? So we have to replace a lot of this infrastructure that we have. And as, when we were building this, in, building this infrastructure, um, as we talked about it earlier, we really didn't think about the role of nature. We sort of had this whole engineering approach that let's conquer nature to achieve what we want. And that abundance um, was sort of um, uh, the goal we had around this, conquering nature and now we're realizing you know nature actually can be our ally in so many different ways and we have to work with nature if we want to build a more resilient and sustainable future um so as we are sort of dealing with aging infrastructure we have to really rethink what does it mean to have what does infrastructure mean exactly how does it need to look like do we really look at our parks and waterways and um uh, you know, trees and nature, actually, as a whole, as part of this infrastructure uh, system that we have, or are we still sort of thinking about gray uh, man-made infrastructure as the only thing that's going to sort of uh, guide us through the future? And um, so that's one thing. I would say another piece of this is also, um, it's just not just about infrastructure that we built, it's about how we set up the system and what preferences that system sort of leads to, so for example, uh, you know we have um, you know water agencies that we have out there, and they they're built to provide the, they 're sort of designed to provide services to people, right but people are sort of at the end of that pipeline they are just receiving services they 're not part of this loop of um, the decisions that they make or their preferences are not necessarily part of this loop. Um, so, we, um, so, sort of, how do you sort of change that process uh, to make sure that people are at the heart of this? There's a study done actually uh, by at the University of Illinois, which is, uh, which I find very interesting. They asked people, so, um, they um, interviewed a number of people and they asked them to draw uh, what they think their water system looks like. Hmm. Uh, or water use system look like, water use cycle look like. And there were some people who were very sophisticated. They were like, water comes, you know, there's a mountain, there's infrastructure, brings it to us. There's a wastewater treatment plant, treats it, put it back in the environment. And there were people who basically said, it rains, there's magic, it comes out of my shower or my (laughs) tap. And, you know, it's not an uncommon thing, right? right? Because we are so disconnected from this system that we don't even think about it where it's coming from, where it goes, what happens. So then then that leads into how do we pay for water, right? Because if I'm really not understanding what it takes for that water to come to me, I'm not really valuing it enough. Right? I'm not willing to pay for this aging system that we are, we, a lot of different parts of countries has to you know, it's facing and has to replace and, um, has to sort of deal with. Um, so that disconnect is also there. And I say, um, you know, one of the major problems in that, that part of this puzzle is this outdated, uh, business model we have, uh, which needs to be revisited. So, um, we have to think about nature as an ally. We have to revisit how we do, uh, what's the business model we have in our uh, sort of water management system. Um, and we have to bring people and make them more involved in the process rather than just thinking about them as a sort of like a, a rate paying mm-hmm. um, group that doesn't necessarily um, have a a role to play in this change that you're experiencing or at least the shift you hope to, ac- to achieve.
4: Sure. Well, there are a lot of great examples of uh, uh, you know adapting or adopting nature-based infrastructure. You see more and more of that with using wetlands to filter and, and trying to kind of mm-hmm. work with nature and use it as part of the water treatment cycle and water management cycle. I guess it is difficult or will be difficult that as cities and others look to dig in and replace infrastructure, it's real tempting just to just replace the pipe, right? Just put in the pipe and
2: the same thing.
4: It's, it's hard to to do something radically different when you're just trying to get by and, and, and meet your standards and deal with that water. Right. Um Yeah. Yeah.
2: I- and I think you touched on a very important word, which was standards, right? Uh, another piece we have in, uh, in this whole sort of broken system uh, we have or outdated system we have is we have very uh, outdated um, standards and performance measures that actually uh, puts preference on these um, sort of 20th century infrastructure that we have, or very highly engineered solutions that we have. And at the end, we have to finance these solutions that we want to put in place. And if we don't have the right standards and performance measures, the money often ends up going to those older and more um, uh, systems that we think we have the right standards for, or we have a proven track record for. Um, And that's also an issue.
4: The, the business model point that you you made um, I'd like to just kind of hear about that a little bit more um, and just kind of understand what the what the problem is there and, and how it maybe should be changed uh, to to be part of better water management what's what's wrong with the business model
2: so a couple of things one is uh we talked about the fragmentation right so fragmentation is caught the, there's a challenge there because the um, each one of these agencies or water utilities are dealing with one part of this, the pie. So that fragmentation means it's is causing issues with how uh, we invest in solutions. How do you th- How do we think about water? Which part of this water cycle are we trying to manage? The second thing is, as I said, it's a top-down system. So people are not at the heart of it. And the way we have set up these systems is that we um, charge people for, let, let's talk about rate setting process, for example. And again, this is, uh, there are exceptions out there. There are some changes that we see in this, in this uh, landscape, but it's, I'm talking about the majority of utilities that are out there. They, the way that we charge people for water is uh, you pay for the you know, amount of water you use, right? It's sort of a commodity. As you use more, you pay more. And this is an issue because at the end of the day, we have fixed infrastructure that needs to be maintained and dealt with, right? So we have to make sure we can maintain our reservoirs, our pipes, as our pumps, our um, treatment plants, all of those have to be dealt with and maintained. And no matter how much water it's used, those systems are there, yeah. right? So if you use a drop of water or you use a pool full of water, <laughs> Um, you still that system needs to be operated and maintained. And if you're using a volumetric way of charging people for their uh, water use, then the, there is a uh, there's not much incentive to encourage people to use less water because as they use less water, there's re- less revenue coming in, which means we have less water to inv- less money to invest in those systems, right? So this disconnect between fixed cost of infrastructure and the variable cost of the amount of water people are using is a huge issue. And in water, actually, these two are sort of, in general, between 70 to 30. So 70% of the cost associated with our um, in, in our water bills is associated with our fixed cost, which we have to recover no matter what. Um, so that's one thing. The second thing is, I think, going to the business model, thing think, is um, this, this whole concept of, Um, you know, where, how do we finance? I think it's, it's an issue. Uh, How do we finance infrastructure and a preference of that old business model to these deterministic outcomes? For example, there's a difference between nature-based solutions. And um, as we talked about, like an engineered solution, if I am putting a wastewater treatment plant, I know um, if I'm putting a dollar in, I'm going to you know, um, treat this much amount of water or wastewater and this is the outcome I'm hoping for, right? If I am sort of putting the preferring or sort of uh, putting a preference on uh, investing in um, nature-based solutions or green infrastructure, I have to deal with some of the uncertainties that exist in nature, right? Because it's not a deterministic outcome. So um, so then, uh, there's a chance that I might not be able to say for every dollar I'm putting, what do I get out, right? Mm-hmm. And the old business model we have does not prefer this smart, the system, mm-hmm. this newer sort of a more uncertain and na- nature based um, approach, um, and. And that financing piece is really important as part of this process. So it's fragmentation, the way we set rates and the way we charge people and the way we actually measure performance of our infrastructure. That's just sort of, um, some, of the, some of the issues that we have with these um, old business model. Sure.
4: And the, and the third piece you mentioned about, you know, the customers or the people in, in the community. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's almost that the water sector needs to get into social science in a way. And, and
2: absolutely. And, and
4: and more, I mean, more communications and marketing, which I'm happy to hear about, but, um, yeah, that's a, that's a a huge part of it. It's hidden infrastructure. Like everybody says, it's not like the roads you drive on and, or absolutely use. So yes. Um, we have big challenges. Which people are willing yeah. to
2: pay more for.
4: <laughs> they are. They are. Absolutely. Um, look at what our cell phone bills are. It's, it's, it's amazing. Exactly. Um, so we've got big challenges. You've outlined a lot of it here. What what makes you optimistic about our ability to build a, a more sustainable water future?
2: Look, I think um, I always want to be optimistic. There's always, as I said, challenges um challenges. Uh, are, can, you know, there are opportunities that you can um, uh, take advantage of and move forward with. And um, and I think there are a lot of examples out there that we can use a different path forward. For example, let's think about infrastructure. Um, as we move forward, as we are thinking about the future, I am actually quite optimistic to see how much more these distributed systems from, rainwater capture, to uh, on-site reuse, to reuse, centralized reuse, to, um, you know, um, uh, all sort of better wastewater treatment, all those things are sort of becoming, or actually the most important, <laughs> conservation and efficiency and green infrastructure are sort of getting more traction. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot more interest to sort of at least consider them in the process, or at least give them a chance in, and we can see more and more, more and more of these examples out there um, and uh, and that actually makes me very happy to see uh, the opportunity of understanding how these uh, new uh, infrastructure is going to fit in that old infrastructure model uh, sort of model and system that we have is is a, is a huge and we have we you know the the um, we have to be better at thinking about that and being able to kind of understand how seamlessly we can put these two systems together. And that makes me optimistic to see how there is a lot more thinking around these system level approaches, how we wanna build uh, these new communities, what do we need to consider? Um, And also, you know, the the opportunity to, um, you know, uh, again, when it comes to conservation efficiency i go back to that you know people every one of these droughts we just recently did a study and we were comparing actually uh, energy sector and water sector and how different how the the, uh, use uh, and uh, pattern of use have changed over time and what i see is every one of these droughts that we are experiencing, or every one of the, you know, um, some of the flooding events that you're experiencing in the East Coast with like too much water and what a quality challenges we are facing. You see people sort of step back, rethink, readjust the way they approach water. And that sort of gives me hope because I like to see informed customers who are willing to engage more with the system, and willing to understand uh, what is going on and be part of this process rather than just being at the end of the pipeline to be part of this process. And that keeps me optimistic because I think as water utilities are realizing they have to engage more with the customers. And as customers are sort of realizing the importance of water in their daily lives and um, they're sort of reading more in the newspapers, in the news, in on TV and all these different platforms that provides um, hopefully uh, science-based information to people, you see them actually being much more positively reacting to the process. Another thing I would say is uh, that's helping these customers to be part of the process is they are sort of, we see the shift, you know, again, comparing to the energy sector. Uh, We have gone through the past 10, 15 years a lot more solar panels on people's roofs and uh, you see people are sort of changing from just a customer to producer and a customer at the same time and that sort of shifts that the uh, that role that people have or customers have in this process and we see some of that happening in the in the water sector as well for example in san francisco this whole on-site reuse systems are turning people from customers to consumers or producers and customers like putting the two words together and and they're you know they are becoming part of the process and that that is hopeful because they can um they understand they can see the challenges they can be part of the process and they're hopefully they'll be more willing to invest in the systems that we have we need for the future
4: well, you made you make me more optimistic when you outlay all of that there. That's that's good. I lastly I just wanted to kind of ask about the the water in the West there at Stanford and just a little bit about what you all do and how you're kind of trying to help help lead us all toward a sustainable future and be part of this effort
2: sure um so i I can talk a little bit about my program and then i can expand on some of the other work that's happening so my team works on sort of building resilient communities so we try to use uh, so many different tools to make this happen for example we uh, pride ourselves to use a lot of data science and informing sort of understanding the policy and human aspects of water systems and we hope that that would lead into a better uh, water future. For example, we have been trying to build uh, 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 something similar to a cap and trade model uh, for the water sector. And the idea there has been to make sure we ha- can create this collaborative environment for uh, different communities to build regional resiliency from um, uh, investing in each other's conservation platforms, from investing uh, in infrastructure in different communities, trying to actually bring these communities together, to work together, rather than sort of being in their own personal silos and investing in their own little solutions. Um, so cr- creating sort of like a... Um, uh, flow of money and resources at the same time, um, uh, money and water in different directions. Um, we have been trying to sort of understand how we can uh, change our permitting processes and um, sort of understand how we can um, make the permitting processes a little bit more um, uh, Lenient and interested in the, uh, in these newer solutions that we have and what needs to change in the process. How can we make it more efficient? How can we make it more, uh, um, sort of, um, uh, open to some of the solutions that we uh, see sort of popping up in the uh, process? We have been actually looking tons on customer level behavior. What do people do? How land use change is impacting water use? How um, uh, new sort of uh, urban urban forms that you have are changing water use? How political leniency of people are changing their water use patterns? How different um, uh, ways of providing information to customers is impacting the water use patterns? So we have done a lot, we have put a lot of focus on trying to understand customers. And you mentioned the whole, um, sort of um, uh, the intersection between social sciences and engineering and I think uh, what my team has been doing is trying to bring these two fields together closer to each other
0: Alright well you know we got a lot of stuff going and uh, sorry, sorry Travis and, and Nusha we got to give it up to the uh, NBC News Hour uh, Chris and I are, are happy you guys were uh, talking and uh, got some great information right Chris?
1: That was absolutely a great one. I enjoyed listening to every word of it. Uh, I did sneak a peek at the
0: end, so I'm so I know what the uh, I know what the <laughs> end is like. All right. So, all our listeners, remember the most important thing. Chris and I always want to tell you is please help keep our planet blue. Because if you like green, you got to have blue. Good night, everybody.
1: Thanks for tuning in. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
3: KCAA Loma Linda. The Legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 106.5 FM. NBC News Radio. I'm Brian.